to really be in the right mindset to to be receptive to Bitcoin, you've got to realize that, that you've got a problem. Like you've got to realize that these people are stealing from you. Hello there from the UK. How are you all? Welcome to the What Bitcoin Did podcast, which is brought to you by the Mighty Kraken, the best place to buy, sell and trade Bitcoin. I'm your host, Peter McCormack, and today I've got an interview with Richard James, the creator of Hard Money, a film looking at how money has been corrupted and co-opted. But before that, I have a message from my amazing sponsors. So first up, we're going to talk about Casa, who are the best in Bitcoin security. So listen, if you have been leaving a lot of Bitcoin on an exchange because you're worried about holding it yourself, or you're worried about the risks of a single hardware wallet, then there is no better solution than Casa. With Casa, it could not be easier to protect your Bitcoin from hackers, personal mistakes, in-person attacks, device failure, and so much more. And Casa has a product for every Bitcoiner. With Casa Gold, you get triple the security of a hardware wallet for only $10 a month. With Casa Platinum, you get their 305 multi-sig, the best protection for large Bitcoin holders at a great price. And with Casa Diamond, you get the full service offering, including a customized personal security review, inheritance, and of course, the best-in-class security. Now... With the market frothy, there is no better time to upgrade your Bitcoin security and get total peace of mind. Find out more at keys.casa, which is K-E-Y-S dot C-A-S-A. Also, let's talk about Sportsbet. Have you checked out sportsbet.io yet? The best place for online gaming. And guess what? What would any amazing gaming firm do? They would accept Bitcoin. And I went out to Estonia to visit them. I met the team and the CEO. They don't just accept Bitcoin. They actively promote it. We have a little bit of football to clear up before the end of the season. We've got the cup final and then we've got the Champions League. But for you basketball lovers, pre-season matches start this week. And as ever, they have a number of promotions for new customers to get started. So if you like a wager with sportsbet.io, you can now get one price boost per day across each sport on every market they offer. If you want to find out more, head over to sportsbet.io forward slash promotions. Sportsbet.io is S-P-O-R-T-S-B-E-T dot I-O. Okay, on to the show today, and I have Richard James. He is the creator of Hard Money, a film which explains the problems with fiat money and central banking. If you haven't checked it out, then please do. It is linked in the show notes. Now, when I am trying to explain Bitcoin to my friends, I always start with the money. But trying to explain concepts like inflation, being a hidden tax, and their pounds having no intrinsic value is close to impossible. People are conditioned to think that inflation is the sign of a healthy economy, and the fact that as far as they can see, the pounds in their bank accounts work makes it a very difficult conversation. They just don't see this slow, insidious erosion of their wealth. So a couple of weeks ago, when Marty Bent's newsletter dropped into my inbox and there was a link to this half-hour video explaining how hard money has been corrupted and co-opted by central banks and governments, it, for me, was a really succinct and easy way to understand these problems. So I watched it and I knew I wanted to get the guy on the show. So I dropped Richard a line. I said, come on, man, let's do this. And he agreed. So in this episode, we go into getting into hard money, gold and Bitcoin. But I was also triggered by the fear art section in the film. So we get into that too. If you've got any questions about this or any feedback, you can hit me up. My email address is hello at whatbitcoindid.com. Outside of that, have a great week and I will see you all soon. Richard, how you doing, man? I'm doing well, Peter. How are you? Yeah, good, man. Good to talk to you. Um, a week late. Sorry about that, dude. No worries. Man, I've seen some of the shows you've been pumping out. No worries at all. Yeah, kind of relentless, especially <laughs> you know, this bloody lockdown thing. I tell you, it changes it because 
usually I'm traveling all the time, so I just fit in the shows I can because I've I've got more time on my hands. I'm now actually making more content, and I've made myself busier. So uh, and look, there's so much good stuff to do, like stuff like watch your film, man. <laughs> oh, that's great! Yeah. Well, look, good to get you on. I don't know you. I don't, I don't know anything about you. I think most people first heard about you when this film came out that you put together. So you should, you should probably introduce yourself. Tell me a bit about yourself, man. Yeah, well, it is sort of the first um, the first bit of Bitcoin-related content I've done. And I've sort of been lurking around on Bitcoin Twitter for a long time now. Um, you know, I sort of have been interested in... I guess, economics and and Austrian economics specifically for a long time, but probably only really got into Bitcoin within the last 12 months. So so it's not like I'm a long-time Bitcoiner, but, you know, that that journey into into Austrian economics and and gold, I think, sort of laid the groundwork for for my interest in Bitcoin. And then it was really just, you you know, that the typical rabbit hole where you – you learn more about the technical aspects of it and, um, you know, it's a bit of a, a mind-blowing thing. And then I guess I've, you know, I've worked in film before. It's not my my, my main job these days. Um, and I've also worked as a writer. Um, so I was really, at first I was doing a lot of writing around Bitcoin, uh, you know, just almost like trying to get my, my head around everything and get my thoughts straight and thought, you know, maybe I could I could write something that um, that people would value. But you know, there's a there's so many good people writing so much good stuff. You know, like you read read an article by by Robert Breedlove or something, and you're like, oh my god, like what what could I add? An that, article that these people like, aren't you know aren't dude, already articulating should, so well. He shouldn't be calling those things articles because they're all they're basically like a, book. Each one's like a book, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. It's like a thesis. Oh, the, like, the amount of work that and, and just the, the depth of thought that goes into it is, is pretty impressive. But yeah, I thought that, that this was an area that, that was a bit untapped that hadn't been, uh, you know, I list, I've listened to a lot of Bitcoin podcasts and, and the, the amazing w- work that's being done by the podcasters and the writers. But I thought, you know, film content, there's, there's probably room for, for something to be done there. So that, and it seemed like it, it sort of resonated with people. Dude, there's a lot of room there for film content, right? There, we've we've got a, a plethora of uh, Bitcoin podcasters. There are so many right now, and like it's funny. I never, I, I always think there's never enough. You know, uh, uh, absolutely. You know, we we need to raise this ocean together. Like uh, a high tide raises all ships. So like the more the better. But I, I mean, I've tried to dip into film because I I think I agree with you. I think it's a gap. But let me ask you. So 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 Austrian economics came first. Yeah, which is a bit of the other way around, I think, for for most people. Bitcoin is mm. is the introduction to that. Whereas I I did study economics through school and university, and and I had that experience where I just lost interest in traditional economics. Like like when we were introduced to the basics. I'm talking about when I'm I don't know 16 years old or something, and and you learn economics, and I, I was really interested in it and and liked it. But then just fell out of love with it. And at university, I, I tried to take economics classes, and just ah, I just was like, this is just it doesn't make Bollocks. sense. It's it's irrelevant. Um, it, it was just really uninspiring. So, and then you know you start getting introduced to stuff like Ron Ron Paul or um, you know Hayek Rothbard. Safedine's book, which I guess I came to, you know, once I was interested in Bitcoin, and, and all of a sudden it's like, hey, this this stuff actually 
makes sense. It's like it's common sense to a certain extent. So that was so a were big you a gold um, thing for me. Yeah, that I, I was and, and still am am a, a gold bug or, well, you know, in, uh, in as much as I appreciate, the, I think, the things that make gold money, you know, real, real money. So I think that it's an important thing to understand. I think that I don't know that you can truly understand the value proposition of Bitcoin without understanding the value proposition of gold because gold, gold is – Bitcoin sort of – ticks all the boxes of gold and then takes it to this this whole next level. Did you listen to my interview with Peter Schiff? Yeah, I did. I listened to it today in the car, actually. I didn't get through the whole thing. Man, I thought you did a really good job with Peter. You know, he's one of those people who, yeah, it's funny the way, and you try to say, look, we're, we're sort of on the same team here, but, uh, uh-huh. you know, you just can't. And it's like he's got... Another person who I read a lot of was a, is a guy called Jim Rickards. Like he's got a lot of books about gold, and he's sort of of Peter's generation. And they they understand, you know, money, the the pro- economic problems we have, and mm-hmm. you know, the Federal Reserve. But they, it's like can't take that next step um, to, to understand why Bitcoin solves a lot of the problems wh- where gold failed. Yeah. Well, I look, I like Peter Schiff, right? So when I when I criticize him, I, I, I'm saying it's still liking him. But there's a couple of things going on. Firstly, when you interview him, he just needs to shut the fuck up sometimes. Like He, he just um, was not listening to a word you're saying. Oh. He was just on his own spiel. Did you listen to him on Rogan? I haven't listened to him on Rogan yet. So I thought he was 95% brilliant, 90, 95% brilliant. The the five ten percent I didn't like is again he just didn't shut the fuck up. So when Rogan was trying to talk, Rogan would get halfway through a point and then Peter jumps in and then just doesn't shut up. And that's that's a really difficult thing to have a discussion with somebody about. Because, it's not a discussion. It's just one way traffic. Well, yeah. when you've got two people like we've got here and you're remote, it's hard enough because and when you're in person, it's a bit easier. But you both have to respect the fact that at some points the other person's trying to speak and you have to be aware of that. And if you think they're trying to speak, you have to think, okay, I'm going to let them speak. And he doesn't do that. And the second thing he doesn't do is that, well, so you'll be discussing one point. If Richard Hart does this. So you'll be debating one point and then you'll you'll counter it. And then he'll use that to move to another point. So you just leap from point to point. So you never resolve anything. And then I think no. the last point that makes it really difficult to discuss with him is I think he set himself in a, like, a very hard position now, which he can't come back from. It's very difficult. Now. It's a fascinating yeah. sort of study in psychology, Peter Schiff's opinion on yeah. Bitcoin. Because yeah, you're right. He can't. He can't ever go back now. He's he's riding that train all the way to wherever it's going. Do you know what it makes me think of? It It might sound a weird example, but it makes me think a bit like Lance Armstrong. Like Lance Armstrong was so down his cheating rabbit hole that everyone knew he was cheating, and 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 he just couldn't admit it. It just couldn't have been. And then finally, he had to go on Oprah to do it and, and confess. But, you know, it's like yeah, kids, you're kids catching your own life. reality almost. You're yeah. so far. Yeah, you start believing your own, what you're making up in your own head. Yeah, make a CP ship on Oprah. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> on Oprah. Yeah. Everything. <laughs> yeah, sat on her seat. I know, I know, I know, appreciate Bitcoin. But the point is, it's like, I didn't actually want, I didn't want to do that interview with him and think, I need to convert you here. I knew, I knew he 
wouldn't be converted. But what I wanted to do is I wanted to get him to the point where he at least he can appreciate or understand what we see from our side, like you see and I see. Because cause it, I don't think he will become a Bitcoiner, or if he is, he might be secretly. But but there's some kind kind of intellectually dishonest things he does, or, or, or some of his opinions on Bitcoin are, are kind of intellectually dishonest. Because in the end, I was like, give me something. And when we closed out, he said, well... You know, I can see why people want to buy Bitcoin because they think other people might buy it because it because it will go up. So he basically called it kind of a Ponzi. But I actually wanted him to kind of. There's some other things that I think he could have agreed on. You know, because he I, just I gave yeah. some concessions. I think you you approached it in really well in in the best way that you could. And as you say, you're not going to convert Peter Schiff. But yeah, like things like when you were trying, he was trying to call you out by saying that okay, you get paid in Bitcoin, but denominated in in a fiat amount and then you made the excellent point that well the the exact same thing applies to gold like if you were going to get paid in gold you wouldn't ask for an ounce of gold you'd ask for a dollar amount of gold it's it's exactly the same thing Um, can you imagine that that all the reasons why why gold is better that's not one of them because they're exactly the same could you imagine that though? Can you imagine getting an invoice coming out and saying, <laughs> uh, "Here's your invoice. It's for it's an ounce. It's uh, five ounces of gold." You'd be like, "What the fuck is this? Are we living in like twelve hundreds?" Well, this is what people like Ron Paul have been going on about for all these years. Like, end the the legal tender laws and and allow people to denominate their contracts in gold if they want to. But yeah, you realize that <sighs> the world has has moved on a bit and. And you know, gold has these flaws that that made it essentially fail as money, and not not fail for, for economic reasons, but basically for political reasons because governments and politicians were able to take advantage of it. Well, there's actually there's actually three types of money I like. To, actually, four types of money I like to use, and I'm happy with this. And it reminds me a little bit. I went out to I don't know if you know I went out to Venezuela and made a little film mm. out there. Yeah, and and they and they use five currencies there. So they have the uh, bolivar, which is the local currency. They have the dollar, which obviously they want. They use the Colombian peso. Um, they also use uh, gold. Uh, no, no, sorry, Bitcoin. They don't use gold. And there was another one. I can't remember why. But they, look, they used to use in different currencies for different reasons. You know, they have to buy certain things in the bolivar because things are priced in the bolivar. But they want dollars. Like I had a handler out there for my security. He was like, pay me in dollars. And you know why he wants the dollars? Because he knows next week the dollars will hold the majority of their value, whereas the bolivars will inflate, you know, easily 10% in a week, right? But occasionally he'll go to a money changer and he'll swap his dollars for bolivar so he can buy things that he needs with the bolivar. Because the problem with the dollars is you don't have the coins, you just have the notes. So you need the lower denominations. Same with the the miner I met. He's the same with Bitcoin. He holds everything in Bitcoin, and every kind of week when he needs some bolivars, he transfers it. But they they used to use multiple, multiple currencies. I am, like I yeah. Well, just about everywhere in the world is used to having the U.S. dollar as this this sort of standard by which you you measure money. It's like the worst of all the. It's like the best of, of a bad bunch in terms of the fiat currencies. So yeah, throughout all yeah. my travels, I've had the, the exact same experience. The the all all these these kind of developing countries are holding us dollars as their main savings vehicle and then as you say transferring into the local currency for their daily purchases of course i mean i mean i run my business in pounds right i pay the majority of my business in pounds but i invoice all my clients in dollars because they're all american so 
I allow them to have the the stable unit of account rather than me have the stable unit account. So my pound amount like varies. But I also run part of my business in Bitcoin. Some people I pay in Bitcoin. Some people I invoice in Bitcoin. And I'm about to transfer some of the uh, savings into gold because I don't want to hold too much pound. I'm happy with multiple currencies for different purposes. And, and that was the point I was trying to make to shift. Like they all serve different purposes. And gold has a purpose to me. The dollar has a purpose to me. And Bitcoin has a purpose. But he just wouldn't have it. He was like, I'm not having it. And then he wouldn't have it at any point. Can't get past this this idea of Bitcoin being being nothing more than a speculative asset, which mm. there is obviously an aspect of that, but of course. It's, it's this inability to, to understand some of those fundamentals. Which is a shame. I think I think if you could get him to a point where he would agree to debate and actually listen and fairly give concessions, then I think some of the points are hard to argue and, and you can you can actually have a very good debate about you know, the trade-offs between gold and Bitcoin. Because I think also, I don't know about you, I think there's some Bitcoiners who are like so anti-gold, full-on Bitcoin, but they're also a little bit naive. I mean, I know they, they believe that on a long enough time frame we'll all you know, a group around the, the, the dominant form of money, but there are threats to Bitcoin. There are state-level threats to Bitcoin. There are te- technological threats to Bitcoin. And I think it would be prudent for... I find it for me to be prudent to hold Bitcoin and gold. I agree, and I do the same thing. And I think as time passes, I move more to, towards Bitcoin. But look, I think it's Bitcoin's been around for 11 years, and I have a lot of faith in Bitcoin, but it's the, it's the black swan that, that you just can't even, you know, I think all the, the possible threats to Bitcoin that are out in the open and are discussed, there's a good answer to why Bitcoin is strong enough to meet them all. But yeah, it's that black swan that you haven't even conceived that, that makes me still want to have a, have a diversification between Bitcoin and gold. So like you said, you, you came to Bitcoin via Austrian economics. Do you remember how you actually discovered it? Like when you first, was it reading online? And do you remember, yeah. did it even make sense straight? Was it like, ah, oh, this makes sense? Or were you like a bit dismissive at first? I remember quite well. I was listening to Preston Pish's podcast. Like he, Great. you know, and I, I'd been listening to that for a long time, you know, because we're talking about value investing, the Warren Buffett style of investing in stocks, which I was interested in. And, uh, you know, he, he started bringing on Bitcoin guests. This is, this is probably in 2019 sometime. I think he had Tour de Meester on and then maybe Trace Mayer. And so I was listening to these Bitcoin podcasts and I was sort of like, what, what is this? What is this? Like I just didn't, you know, because I had heard about, about Bitcoin in the, in the 2017 bubble um, and, you know, it was the classic case of, you know, your friends telling you, you've got to, got to buy some of this Bitcoin. And so, I, yeah, I just had the classical response, like, what is this? What is this internet thing? Is it a scam? I don't really know what it is. Yeah, so it was listening to Preston, the guests that he brought on. And then when he finally had Plan B on, talking about stock to flow and, you know, the that model, and that was what made me go, wait a minute, if this guy's what? Like, if there's even the slightest chance this guy is right, then you just can't ignore this. So that was what made me take a much closer look and realize that the real soundness of the economic theory that, that was behind it, which, which basically agreed with all these other things that I'd been working on independently. Do you think stock to flow is holding up? Because it's been challenged. 
It's interesting watching watching this play out. Look, I, I, I don't know, and I, I don't know that I want to wade too far into that, if only to say that from my point of view, the thing that I think Plan B did with that model that really changed my perspective was just to put the Bitcoin price on a log scale instead of just, you know, a, a normal scale and, and the way that changes the trajectory of price regardless of the regression or the R value or anything like that, you know, you've got people criticizing the model and, and trying to project some other, you know, some other variable. But, yeah, it was just just the fact of changing the scale. Like I think that was what – and then if you just draw a line of best fit, it, it, it keeps going. As far as I'm concerned, yeah. that's – for me, that's the most important part, part of the model, whether – whether the stock to flow is technically a, a driver of the price, like this whole argument about co-integration, I, I don't know. But but that was, I guess, never the thing that made the real difference for me. I think for me, it was it was slightly different. So I, I can't study the the mathematical models around it. I mean, I've read the, one of the articles, which was kind of like I don't want to say a takedown, but more of like an analysis of it. And it's just yeah, these these mathematical models are quite complicated. And uh, and it was a bit much for me. But the thing that really changed it for me is I actually really like these kind of evolutionary steps that he identified. And I think they're they're actually what is really important because you you, you look at the model now and you look at the evolutionary step and now we're at that stage where we've got derivatives. We've got like Bitcoin is accepted as like a commodity, uh, as a speculative asset. We have these derivatives, right? And the next logical step is that perhaps we move to some form of nation-state adoption. And that feels like an evolutionary step. And then if that is the next evolutionary step, then the demand will massively increase. And that will then have a massive impact on the price. And that, for me, was like, yeah, these logical steps, I can follow I can follow that. As, as far as the, the mathematical models goes, that's just whatever my head did. Absolutely, and I, I agree. And this newer model that, that he, he brought out only in the last few months, the, the the cross asset model i think that's you know that's a very persuasive argument that he puts forward and for me that was also a big deal on on his initial time series model where he also he had the time series of bitcoin but then he also had gold uh and silver on that same regression and that was what really um opened my eyes seeing that the stock to flow of those assets which have nothing to do with bitcoin is on the same line of regression for, for market cap so and now he's got real estate on there he's got diamonds on there a bunch of other stuff mm. um so i think that's really persuasive and as you say that the different narratives with bitcoin as it evolves that, that seem to tie into to these four-year halving cycles and i think the, the nation state era is is inevitable i just think it's inevitable that whether it's you know the smallest weakest country in the world i think and i'm sure there are some that are already doing it but yes i think that's the inevitable next step well i've kind of got a theory about nation state adoption i mean firstly if we're honest it's already happening we know there is it's being used by venezuela we know i mean it came out recently like you could pay i think it was was it your passport they had a bcc pay server for the passport yeah. application but but some of the people I've interviewed, right, we know about them confiscating mining equipment. I think they've just banned mining in homes again now, Which, but we know, I mean, it's a way to access money, right? We know North Korea has been hacking and stealing 
Bitcoin or using Bitcoin as ransom. We have suspicions that it may be used by Iran and it may be used by perhaps Russia to avoid sanctions. Like there is this more kind of nefarious nation state use. But my theory is that if that continues to happen and these nations continue to build up a certain amount of wealth within Bitcoin, it might be it might be something that leads other state, nation states to think, well, hold on, we, we don't want to fall behind Iran in terms of Bitcoin holding, because if, if there is that chance that Bitcoin becomes this huge asset, we, we're going to need to own this. So that will create an imperative amongst other nations to start considering it. And at some point, a nation is going to declare their hand with Bitcoin at some point. And once they do, I see that as just a gold rush. Mm, I agree. I think it's this, this gradually then suddenly thing where if if it came out that, that you know, in, in the open that one of these sort of na- nations w- was doing it, like whether it was Iran or North Korea or Venezuela, that's one thing. But, it, yeah, it's when, you know, a, a, I guess a nation Sweden. state that's seen as legitimate in the eyes yeah. of the Western nations comes out and says that they're doing it. Yeah, I think that's a bit of a, a turning on a tap. So I, I, suppose- I think in Sweden. I, I just I, it seems like a Swedish thing to do, right? Like they were the outliers with COVID. It's like, yeah, we're not going to lock down. Mm. We're the outliers here. I think they might be the the Bitcoin outliers. But if you were a nation state, yeah, you w- you wouldn't want to necessarily be announcing it. And I think the other thing that I find fascinating, and this is something that Pierre Rochard's talked about, is like, and you know, a government is in the end nothing more than a bunch of individuals, really, and so. This whole this idea of of whether well whether governments are on for or against Bitcoin, it it's hard to separate the will of the government from the will of the individual actors involved, and especially even if they're trying to clamp down on Bitcoin. I mean, if if the the individual bureaucrats are, you know know what's good for them, they're going to want to um, they're basically going to sabotage that from from the inside, and and also just the fact of and I thought about this with the Venezuela thing, like. Who's actually holding the private key? Like, the, okay, the government, know, Bitcoin, but, but who's actually in charge of looking after the keys? It's just fascinating. Maduro. He's <laughs> got Maduro. one his cold card. Yeah, Maduro's got a cold card. Hidden, he's, hidden he's, under the he's backed it up to a, he's got a billfoddle hidden in, in his safe. In his, uh... <laughs> no, but that's a really good point, right? Because even even if it was like a, I don't know, a th- a say it's a three or five multi-sig they had a range, who were the three? Is Maduro mm. one of them? You know, it, it, it that to me is one of the most interesting s- scenarios. I would love to hear mapped out. Like, how does how does a nation state manage its private keys? Like, how, like how many signatories to the multi sig? Who are they? It's I just it's, a weird... it's funny, and and I guess you you apply the same analysis to these central banks trying to create their own digital currency. I just. I don't see how well, they've bullshit. got the 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 just the technological uh, uh, the ability to you know you see the the kind of innovation that, that's happening on Bitcoin and yeah I just uh, I just don't see how that it's obviously not a threat for, from an economic analysis because it's just not it's not a threat to Bitcoin's value proposition at all but yeah just no. the ability to actually create it from a technological point of view I don't really see. Well, it. Some- Someone smart would be thinking about this and planning for it. I mean, one of the things I like, like I'm a Casa customer, right? Uh, only recently, I signed up. You know, obviously, they're a sponsor as well now. 
But one of the cool things is they hold one of the keys, which is a really, really interesting scenario because it gives me a lot of protection to myself. But if this was, say, what rather than being my Bitcoin, say it was a company's Bitcoin, right? And say it was always a, I don't know, three or five scenario, but say one of the keys always had to be Casa. Casa could potentially have their own checks and um, um, procedures for checking that there isn't collusion within my company to steal the Bitcoin. But then I guess you could even have the collusion at the Casa level. God, it's mad, isn't it? I don't know how this plans out, how this sounds. Yeah. No, absolutely. But yeah, look, I think I, I've been looking into into the best avenue for multi-seed because I'm at that that stage as well where I think it's uh-huh. the, the natural step to take where you start, you know, you're getting worried where you, with you, your backup seed is it, you know, yeah. so I think, you know, yeah, looking at Casa and uh, and Unchained and, and yeah, I guess, look, it's just, uh, you know, an example of, of you know the uh, the innovation that's going on in the Bitcoin space. Mm. Well, listen, let's talk about the film. Okay, so you've been writing a little bit. You hadn't re- really kind of. I wasn't aware of your writing, so I'm not sure how far how how, you, how much you've got it out there. And then you come out with this big splash of this film. I'm I'm reading reading Marty Bent's email. I'm like, there's a what? What's this movie? I I didn't even know this was coming. So I ended up watching it straight away. Loved it. Reached out to you almost instantly. But what was the background? How, how, tell me how you actually like came to the idea of making a film. Well, it was a bit of a, a COVID lockdown project. It was sort of like I set myself this this goal: can I make a film? Without leaving my desk and not spending a single dollar, that that was sort of the the idea, and and to do it, you know, in in a pretty quick quick time, um, and so that was when I realised that, you know, that there's so much good content out there already um, being created by you and, and all the other podcasters. It was like, okay, if we're gonna if we're gonna try and craft a, a narrative out of Bitcoin. Well, it would sort of be be crazy for me to go out and try and interview all all these people when when the content is already there. Um, so that I think was was the main thing was if I if I can sort of leverage off this stuff that's already been put out there, where all the hard work in a lot of ways has already been done. That's going to make the thing go much faster. And that I guess it does have a fundamental impact on. On the project because it's it's not my material, right? It's it's mm. you know I don't have a copyright over an interview on a podcast, so th- that's the first thing is that it's not really my material. I'm I'm not going to monetize the film in any way, um, which was never the point. It was just can, can I put something together to that just expresses sort of w- w- the way I'm feeling about this at the moment. So. That was, um, you know, that was the first step. And I, and I don't, you know, think about the hundreds of hours of podcasts that you've listened to. You know, I, it was already um, the ideas were formulating in my head. And then, it, you know, there's so many good good people out there who express these ideas so well. So that was the first step is to sort of collate this this narrative through through podcasts. There's also lectures in there like Murray Rothbard, Dan Sanchez, stuff from the Mises Institute. Yeah, and then and then it was just pulling stuff in terms of the visuals from online like i just you know with with enough time digging online just found all sorts of interesting stuff like all these old cartoons old films Mm. that may make you realize that this isn't a uh you know it's not like it's a recent phenomenon 
yeah, so yeah. so that was, I guess, the um, yeah, the, in, in in that sense, it worked. Like it was something I was able to put together relatively quickly, and thankfully, everyone. I, I then sort of reached out to some of the people who were involved in terms of the, the guys who who do some of the narration and the people who own some of the material, and everyone was really supportive. So yeah, it, it sort of worked well. Dude, you fucking nailed it. Honestly, I, I've watched it twice now. <laughs> and, you, well, there's one one area which I'm not keen on. We're going to talk about that. Obviously. No, we'll get to that. <laughs> yeah, we'll get to that. But, no, I, like, like I thought you absolutely nailed it. I thought you nailed the combination of, like, the economics, education, why Bitcoin is important, but also the banking, the problems in the banking sector. And it wasn't overly long. What is it, like 35 minutes? Yeah, exactly, like 35 yeah. minutes. And I guess deliberately doesn't mention bitcoin uh maybe it's in in a song at the end but yeah i think that was well i I don't know that i set out deliberately to do that but yeah i think i like that approach it's like you can't ram bitcoin down people's throats you you, especially people who use the pound or the dollar who don't it's it's like death with a thousand cuts this inflation thing you don't it's not something you notice over the course of a year or a couple of years so to really be in the right mindset to to be receptive to Bitcoin, you've got to realize that that you've got a problem. Like you've got to realize mm-hmm. that these people are stealing from you, uh, literally stealing from you. And I think um, that that was the message to get across. And then you know it takes you that that step closer to to really being ready to accept Bitcoin. It, it's still hard to get that message across as well. And I, I think for a couple of reasons, I think. I think we're conditioned to believe inflation is necessary and a natural part of the economy. I mean, I was taught uh, economics at school. I studied uh, Keynesian economics. It wasn't until I was like 35, 36 when I discovered, no, no, a little bit later, about 38 when I discovered Bitcoin, I was going down the rabbit hole and it was explained to me like what inflation is and why it's bad to me. It, it had never even crossed my mind that inflation was something that was eroding my own wealth. All, yeah, all I, and I was the was, same, exactly the same. You know, having even, even having studied economics, I sort of I, di- I didn't really understand inflation properly. I thought, like you, that it was somehow this like natural consequence of economic growth mm. when a necessity. It's, it's actually the opposite. And that was a mind-blowing thing for me when you realize that if the money supply is held constant and the economy grows, you'll actually get deflation because there'll be more goods and services chasing the same amount of money. So it's like it, whether it's a, it's a deliberate sort of con or it's just not, it's just not explained properly in, in um, modern economics. I I don't. That's funny you should say that because it, it's spelt out to us in the Bitcoin world like it is this huge con, which it is. But at the same time, I I actually think there are people who fundamentally believe we need inflation because deflation. They, they believe that deflation is too scary and too risky and too dangerous. Uh, and there's people I've spoke, spoken to about this. But when I've tried to talk to, I've tried to talk to friends about this. So I've been gradually like posting things. On my Facebook, I use my Facebook very different from my Twitter. Mm-hmm. My Twitter, I share other people's ideas, but my Facebook is almost a testing ground for me forming my own ideas or sharing some things I found on Twitter. And I, and I've been talking about inflation now for about six months, and 
it's really, really hard to get people to to listen and understand. I've had like two or three people, people reach out to me and go, okay, I'm listening. Like, ex- tell me a bit more. But most people are just struggling with it. And I've also had people say, no, you need you need inflation. If we don't have inflation, we have deflation. And people won't buy, buy, be buying goods and the economy will crash, blah, blah, blah. And obviously I throw, try and throw the argument back, well, we need good productivity, blah, blah, blah. All that's, that kind of same stuff. But I think people are so conditioned to it now. And it, and it's a different inflation that we have here. Say, like, if you go to Venezuela or even Argentina, I was in Argentina last year, right? They don't want inflation. They hate inflation, right? Because they've had 40% inflation, like 30% inflation. They know it's bullshit. Because we have this, like, slow, insidious 2%, 3% inflation, we kind of don't really notice it year on year. You know, it's like, ah, oh, like a pint of beer is now £4.10 rather than £4.5, Right. You Absolutely, you don't really and, notice it. You don't notice it, and yeah, look, it's not as if it's a deliberate conspiracy because uh, uh, you know the people in the the central banker and the government, uh, it's not like they really perceive the damage that they're doing. Like they genuinely think that they're doing the right thing by pursuing this inflation target um, of two percent or whatever it is. But you know, as you say, the you know the price of your pint of beer going up is almost the the least of of your worries because we're look we're not seeing we're not really seeing consumer inflation certainly not now with with what's happened with this virus but that's not to say that um the increase in the money supply doesn't like i think it's like this is the thing i hate about this modern monetary theory thing where where they're saying look that there's no visible consequences of of increasing the money supply and printing money so we just keep printing money because it means we can just give money to everyone. And and that, I think, is where your, your Austrian economic analysis comes in, which says, look, the way we're analysing this is we, we don't need to see the data or, or, or analyse the consequences in the real world. We, we just know that if the money supply increases, if we print money, that makes everyone who holds the money worse off. That's just like an a priori deduction it doesn't doesn't really need to be proved in the real world it's like saying oh if we increase the the length of the tape measure that's not going to make the wall that we're measuring any bigger like it, it's in that same kind of category of statement but but um this the second order effects the hidden effects the future negative effects that we're not seeing right now but we will see th- there's all sorts of reasons why it's a just because we're not seeing the CPI go up now do- doesn't make it okay. Yeah, exactly. Well, like I said, I think you nailed it. I thought it was great, um, especially the fact that you've assembled it from stuff that was already out there. Because there, there is, I, I don't know who it is. You, it might be someone I know, but there's a guy who feels like he narrates part of it, especially towards the start. Um, um, I, just, I think it might be an English guy. I'm just trying to think. There's, um, there's the guys from... Bitcoin echo chamber, like heavily armed clown. There's, um, oh no, I think I know the guy you're talking about. That's this guy, G. Edward Griffin. This old, he's kind right. of this older guy. Yeah, yeah. he's he's really inter- interesting. So he's got this book. It's called The Creature from Jekyll Island. So it's all about the yep. creation of the Federal Reserve. You know, he had this secret meeting in in 1913, and and it is a fascinating story. The way these private bankers got together in secret to mm-hmm. create the Federal Reserve. Like it, it, it legitimately 
that is a, a, a real conspiracy theory that, that has a lot of truth to it. And so he, yeah, he's excellent. I mean, he's, a, he's obviously not interested in Bitcoin necessarily, but yeah, his analysis is fantastic. And I even came across some lectures he gave, he was giving back in the, the 60s maybe that I came across on YouTube. Mm. So 50 years ago, um, talking about the same thing. Yeah, he, he his stuff really is excellent. I'm I'm about so I've got the audio book for that and I'm about three hours in, but I also checked out his Wikipedia page and it kind of put me off him a little bit. Oh really? Yeah, he's been involved in some weird conspiracy stuff. Oh, uh, okay. Uh, I'd have to go and dig it out, but <laughs> but at the same time, like that book that book is super interesting now. Mm, like, absolutely. The way it lands the message is that he ver- lands the message very well that bankers never lose. Yeah, and this is something that, that Murray Rothbard talks about as well. Like he's got a book on on the Federal Reserve, and that that I think was the one that really opened opened my eyes. And then you know delving into it deeper with with Griffin's book, that yeah, the the bankers run have been running this for almost a hundred years, and it, it's a it's a cartel in the same way that any other industry comes together to try to form a cartel to protect their own interests. It's just amazing how successful. Uh, it's been and and how good of a job they've done of disguising the original intent like no no one um you know everyone thinks that the federal reserve or um you know the central bank is an arm of the government and working in the interests of the people and then i like i on the i hear sort of both sides of the coin argued like i hear when people realize that Look, it's actually a it's a private. It's almost like a private company. It's it's owned by by these private banks. It's got it's got nothing to do with the government. It's not answerable really to the government. It's not answerable to the people. Um, it can basically do its own thing. Next up, I talked to Richard more about Bitcoin and hard money. But before that, I have a message from my amazing sponsors. So first up, I'm going to talk to you about Kraken and why they are the best place for buying Bitcoin especially with this market so frothy. With Bitcoin going on a rally, you really want to be buying your Bitcoin from a trusted source. And with Kraken, they have the best security in the industry. They are the most trusted cryptocurrency exchange on the market. And with their 24-7, 365 customer support, whatever issue you have, whoever you are and wherever you are, they are going to help you get it sorted. They have the most comprehensive suite of tools available for buying Bitcoin. At Kraken.com, it could not be easier to sign up and start trading. They also have a beautiful mobile-first app. So if you want to buy Bitcoin on the go, if you're out for a walk in the park, if you're sat in an airport, if you're down the pub and you think, I want some more Bitcoin, you can do it with Kraken Pro. With their margin trading, futures, and OTC desk, Kraken has every single option covered for you. There is no better place to trade Bitcoin. Find out more at Kraken.com or download the app, which is available for the iPhone and Android. Just search for Kraken Pro, which is K-R-A-K-E-N-P-R-O. Also, we have BlockFi, the future of Bitcoin and financial services, not just a sponsor. I am also a customer. I'm a customer of their interest account. I get my Bitcoin interest every month. And I tell you what, I've made nearly one Bitcoin in interest this year. Very happy with their service. Also with BlockFi, you can use your Bitcoin as collateral and take out a USD loan. And you can also fund your BlockFi account directly from your Bitcoin wallet. With the BlockFi mobile app, you can also access all their services on the go. 
with so much more coming this year, I know this team is going to have another huge year and I'm really proud to be working with them. If you're interested in checking BlockFi out, I recommend you do your own research, then head over to BlockFi.com, which is B-L-O-C-K-F-I.com. So how's it, how well has it been received? Because like I don't have a... I saw a lot of people share it, but did it go down well? Is that a lot of like has it been viewed a lot? Yeah, I think uh, you know the, the um, some people shared it on like I I didn't really know what to expect, you know. Like I I just reached out to a few people on Twitter and, and asked if they'd share it, which they did, and then it sort of got going. Like the trailer had something like twenty five thousand views over over the first nice. week, um, just bouncing around Twitter. So that was amazing to see. Um, and then you know a lot of people, maybe half of that, have gone on to watch the the film online. Um, so I think in terms of of what, what where it'll go now, maybe it's a bit of a slow burn. Like it's it's there, it's a resource that people can use. Look, whether it's the best introduction for someone who's got no idea about any of this stuff, I, I don't know. Like it, it hits the ground running pretty hard if you haven't if you haven't even thought about these concepts of like what is fiat mm. money or the central bank creates money, like for some people even that hurdle, you know, t- takes a long time to, to get your head around. But and it, I don't even know if that was the intention of the film to get, if, if it works as a way to, to sort of bring people into this world, then great. But it was almost like, you know, it's something that, it's been so rewarding to me to to listen to all these people um, and, and get involved in this this community. I guess it's sort of in some ways it's almost like yeah, just me trying to pick a, pick out the, the things that resonated most most with me and and put it out there in a in a way for people to to take in. I think it is a great intro. I put it up on my Facebook. I said to all my friends, I said, look, if you want to understand the bullshit within banking and how money works, this is a great start. And I shared it out there. I, I do. I think I think you nailed it. All right, do we, should we talk about the issue I have? Let's do it. Let's do it. Right. So this is a big issue of mine. And uh, me and, yeah, me and uh, Mr. Saifedina moves. So we've fallen out. We're not friends anymore. We don't. Yeah, so I didn't realize that I, there's obviously history there between you guys yeah. about this. Yeah, we're mutually blocked. Uh, yeah, well, we just, have, we just have different opinions on certain yeah. things. Like, um, yeah, I, I believe uh, global warming is something that humans have caused and is getting worse and we need to deal with it and, and he doesn't and you know I, I think he wrote a very good book of which I really like 80% of it but I I did find I got to the whole bit on art and I just found it offensive and bullshit right and mm. I did and, I, and it's something I don't accept and and I tell you where it pisses me off it, it's become like so we have this thing in Bitcoin like every of course everybody has free choice do what you want blah 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 but there's almost like this uh kind of cult of personality traits and lifestyle choices that are getting attached to bitcoin which is fine it's cool there's a carnivore thing which is cool people if they want to be carnivores it's cool i think there needs some analysis some good analysis on whether it really is healthy i'm not sure if just eating meat is really healthy i think we need other nutrients in our diet and so sometimes i like from my side i think are we giving the best advice if people kind of coalesce around particular ideas so i don't support the i mean i've been a vegan at one point in my life but i don't support a carnivore diet because i think i don't know enough if that actually is a good idea if that will present issues down the line do we need nutrients and i've 
I've seen the debates between vegans and meat eaters and meat eaters and carnivores and everyone's got an idea, right? Every, you know, but at the same time, I just, I don't think I would put my kids on a carnivore diet for a reason because I don't think it's healthy. Look, yeah, so, Saifedean has these extreme views, obviously. And I think, mm. look, the meat, the meat thing, I mean, I think if you look at the way it's presented in the film, I think we we don't go there in terms of advocating any particular diet. It's just saying, yeah. you know, he he uses a ribeye steak or whatever as an example to to talk about this, I guess, shrinkflation issue where the the a certain good is presented and it's and it's analyzed in the basket of the the CPI, the consumer price, yeah. but the quality of the thing. So so the, the price isn't going up. So you can say there's no inflation, but the quality of the thing is going down. So you have yeah. a piece of meat, oh, I know, a, agree. You know, a cut of steak. So I think that's a, that's a really worthwhile point to make. But then, yeah, yeah look, no, I, I, agree. I, I, agree I, with I don't that. disagree with you about, about the extremity of some of these views. No, and I agree with that part of the, the documentary. And I also agree with that some of the centralized like health and diet um, guidelines that have come through central government have been terrible, right? Absolutely terrible. Uh, I don't disagree with that. Uh, I think a carnivore only diet is quite extreme. And I don't know. I mean, Saifedean would probably put up this really amazing argument for why it's healthy, blah, blah, blah. I also think there are people who put out an argument that it's moronic and that you should have vegetables in your diet. And like, whatever. But I, I, I just wouldn't put my kids on it. But where I where I take real issue is with art and I've Mm -hmm. taken, I've like taken a real issue with this and I don't accept it. And the reason I don't accept it is because one of the things I find frustrating is that it's, uh, it's, this is probably the premier book on Bitcoin. And despite my thoughts on a safer Dean and his uh, debating and blocking people and all that stuff, I still think it's a very good book and I would recommend it to people, but I would just, forewarn them that there's some bullshit about art in there and the reason i take issue with it and such issue is that is that because of this kind of like sometimes kind of like i don't know cult following of ideas i believe some people will read the book and then believe they should have a a carnival diet and because of that they've been told that there's fiat money there's fiat this there's now fiat art and believing to be a a supporter of bitcoin you have to discredit a whole area of, of of art and i think that's dangerous because because the kind of people who've who've taken issues against art and culture historically have been the fascists, right? <laughs> you know, the, the, and particularly this this term "degenerate art," this use of the term "degenerate," particularly pisses me off because that is what Hitler and the Nazis did. They cast a, a lot of modern art and uh, abstract art as degenerate art. They even put on a degenerate art exhibition. And I, I have a real issue with that because I, I think I think money, you can be objective about money and you can debate MMT versus, you know, maybe uh, Austrian economics views on our money. But you can be quite objective about it. Say factually, this is this has happened. But I think art, art is one of those things that needs to be free and it needs to be entirely subjective. And I dislike the a whole category of art being discredited as uh, fiat art and degenerative art, because I think you're almost shaming people away from a certain aspect of creativity. And you know, uh, I think Banksy is a revolutionary, but he's his work is modern art. It's graffiti. It is, and and it is political, often political graffiti. But it's really important 
form of revolutionary art, right? But it's modern art. Mm. So I is guess, it degenerative art? Yeah. So, well, look, I suppose if anyone who hasn't seen the film or, or maybe um, hasn't read the Bitcoin standard, what I guess what we're talking about here is, yeah, Seyfedean has a section where he talks about art and he tries to say that in in the during the Renaissance or in previous centuries when well, he's, he's trying to make a connection between sound money and, and the, the quality of art. Um, and, yeah, look, he calls modern art degenerate art and upon reflection i agree with you like i probably don't like the word degenerate art and maybe if i had my time again i wouldn't include the word but in to to try and put my position forward and i guess all i can do is defend my position i can't and and the exact words that safedine says in the film whatever else he talks about in other forums I, i guess is something different he may disagree with me but i suppose yeah look the Bitcoin standard, it's a book about economics, but it does put forward this broader thesis to try and say that money has, a, the quality of money has a broader influence on society than just economics. Mm-hmm. And I think that's an interesting take, whether or not you agree with with all aspects of it or not. I, I do find it interesting. And it was one of the things that I, I did enjoy about the Bitcoin standard. And I suppose the issue that I have and, and the point that I was trying to put forward about the art, it's not necessarily, I wouldn't say the problem is modern art and I wouldn't say it's like a, a thing of abstract art versus realist traditional art. Like I I think the, the real issue or, and the artworks that, that were shown as examples in the film, it's this, it's, it's really post-modern art. Like it's not the, the art that the, that the Nazis were putting on display and, and calling degenerate. It, it's, it's, it's more something that's happened in our, in our own lifetime. And it's this idea, it, like it's this whole post-modern philosophy that's like, you know, the only thing that matters is the interpretation. There's no, there's no it, it's relativism. It's like there's no objective truth here. There's, there's no such thing as as objective beauty so a- anything goes it's like like the Andy Warhol thing where like arts whatever you can get away with and so like I think that I think this idea of that that mo- like modern or like real postmodern art treads this line between kind of garbage and and beauty it's like it's not even like a controversial thing like that like artists modern artists would almost celebrate that as as being this idea of shock value being being an important part of modern modern art and so yeah look i you know your point is very well taken look and i agree that that you can't generalize but yeah look you get you know i think about this um there's this museum uh this art museum here in australia in tasmania it's Mm -hmm. it's called mona like the museum of old and new art it's a big a big deal here in australia it's like the premier new art um gallery and i and look uh, people probably don't want to hear my opinions on art i and, and I'm, I'm not going to go too much into this but look the only thing i took away from my visit there was that the main thing on display is is basically obscenity it, which is fine but it's like ah I, I don't know i sort of take an issue with this idea that anything goes or like it, like art is is totally in the eye of the beholder and like I, I think there's something you know you look about what's going on in in other 
other other areas today with this you know cancel culture and social justice warriors and and this idea that it's it's this postmodern idea that like there's nothing there's no objective reality the only thing that matters is like these power dynamics between gr different groups and that's why you know you're just categorized into your group as a white person as a as a male and so you're not allowed to have a, have a voice you're not allowed to express an opinion because you know, your whole identity is, is is only based on this 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 group identity and this power dynamic like we can't actually have a, a legitimate discussion so yeah I guess that's where I'm coming from it's it's this like attack back towards towards postmodernism more than anything yeah, it's a, it's a really tough one because I think I think there is a, a, there's a lot of complications with trying to add to be objective about art because it really is subjective and and the reason I know it is because I've always encouraged my children to by taking them to museums and galleries and we will go to some we have this great museum this great gallery in London called Tate Modern. Mm, I've been there. Probably Great, it's my favorite building yeah. in the world, and it is. And you do, and it has a like a it's a good mix of art. Yeah, you know, there's a broad range of different sculptures and paintings that you can see, and there's some great galleries on. And I know my two children like different things, and they're children, right? You know, they don't they don't look at a painting necessarily just for the the detail. They won't look at a Monet and think. Uh, they will just look at something and they'll appreciate different things. My my son, like me, likes Rothko, and they've got a Rothko room in uh, it. Take modern, and, and a lot of a lot of people would argue that Rothko, this isn't art. This is just squares on a. This is just squares mm. on a canvas, but which I think if you've never seen them in person, you might even agree. But if you sit in a Rothko, I I I think it's very difficult for to say to to objectively say it's impossible to be moved by the Rothko room in London because it is fascinating. I could sit in there for ages and there's certain works by, I don't like Picasso, for example. I just do not like the work hmm. of Picasso. I like some of Van Gogh's work, right? And it's completely different. There's another painting there, which I love to wind up the uh, Fiat art people by Klein. It's called the Klein blue. It's just a square blue, but it's a fascinating blue to look at when you see it in person. And the point being is that I think you need you need full create full creativity with art. You need the option to feel like anything you want to make, anything you want to create may have value to someone, which will allow people to have that creative freedom to 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 create different things, whether it's I mean, I've been to some I've seen some amazing works of art in my time. I've been very, very lucky. And this this transcends just gallery art we're talking uh, creative freedom in film in literature but i think people need their creativity and once we start classing even any form of kind of even if you say postmodernism, i think the fear arts haters would class rothko as a degenerative art right but i i just i don't like having that lens with bitcoin because if bitcoin this is what i worry about bitcoin may become the dominant form of money over a long enough time frame it may and what if we create this lens with this, that the acceptance of a, a, a new dominant form of money comes with these rules around diet and art that actually take away freedoms in some ways. And 
So I just I just don't like treading into that area. And I also find the use of the term degenerative art, I find that dangerous because of where it's been used historically. Mm. Um, sadly, yeah. I'm not an art scholar, so like I, I don't <laughs> have my like knives sharpened in, into a coherent and succinct argument. But no, I just you reject put that argument, and I, I I don't disagree with with anything that you've said necessarily. Uh, look, I think it is important to make this point that censorship, that criticism, no matter how distasteful the criticism is, is and actual censorship is a, is like a rubricon. Like they're totally two different things, and I think no, no one treading on the the right of anyone to to express themselves artistically however they want um and i think the other saving grace in all of this is look if bitcoin if you look at bitcoin from a purely economic analysis i think the the sort of momentum and inertia that bitcoin has us arguing about this yeah i don't think there's any if bitcoin fulfills the potential that we think it will I don't think it's going to make any difference. Like, it's, if Bitcoin becomes a global reserve currency, then us as, as a, a group on Bitcoin Twitter, our opinions on art aren't obviously going to make much difference one way or the other. I guess, look, I'm, yeah, and look, I, I understand this, this criticism about Bitcoin, you know, carving out a certain opinion, um, whether it's food or, or art or whatnot. Yeah, I don't know where I stand on that. I guess I'm just, I'm trying, I, I find it a fascinating idea, the idea that fiat money creates its own culture. And I think for me, you know, the look, I, I find the art point interesting. The one that resonates more with me personally is, is architecture. And this is something mm. that I, look, I'm not, I'm also not an expert by any means on architecture. I've just, since I was a kid, I've always wondered why it is in, in every city I go to, the buildings that I lo- like, uh, that I like, and I find beautiful, are old buildings and old houses. And like, why don't we create these kind of things? These kind of things anymore? Like, I was. Uh, it's funny you brought up, and, and this is going to tie back to the whole inflation thing because I was with a really good friend of mine the other day, and he's a, he's like the smartest guy I know. And we were walking through a park in in Melbourne. And we came across this drinking fountain. And it's like, for, it's, I don't know, it's 100 years old, 150 years old. And the thing is carved out of granite. Uh, it's got this brass coping on it. It's like got little little tongues and little dog heads. With, like it's the most intricate mm. thing you could ever imagine. He's like, huh, we, we don't make that kind of stuff anymore, do we? Like what, I wonder why that is. And, you know, I sort of was like, you know, I think, it's got something to do with the money. Um, and it could be. And he, but, you know, but, he but, but we do, sorry, just I would throw in there, we do have like engineering economies of scale that have been developed over years. Like if you want a water fountain in built in like 1800, you have to go to the local carver and get them to build it who maybe can like do one a week. But we now have like engineering economies of scale where you can go to a factory and you can order 2000. And I think, you know, Yes, you you can make the the fiat money argument, but but capitalism like drives towards efficiency as well. So I think that needs considering. But I agree with you on the architecture, by the way. I do, but I yeah. also like a lot of modern architecture. I like Lieberman. I you know I I go into I love I love looking at massive skyscrapers as much as I love looking at an old church. Hmm. Yeah. 
Well, I mean, look, as you say, like it's just a each it's it's a bit of each their own, isn't it? Like, and but I just find it it yeah. I guess that's that's what I was trying to explore. And and I suppose if you're the, the good thing is in a, in the end with Bitcoin, it's it's not going to you know our opinions on it aren't, aren't going to make it make any difference either way. If you are in that camp of thinking that there is a connection between the money standard and a society's time preference and ability to think about long-term projects. Because that's the other thing that Safedine talks about. It's not necessarily, we're not, not without going into the subject matter of the art, he's almost talking about how art, like the whole concept of art patronage. And like, if you go back to the 15 or 1600s, you've got these Italian families, d- dynasties that last for multiple generations maintaining their wealth over such an incredibly long period of time because they hold their wealth in gold uh, they're able to and art is art has a system of private patronage so um you know private patrons are commissioning this art and they're they've got a low time preference they don't care you know ha- you're not going to have a anyone today say oh we'll start building this cathedral and it's going to take us 300 years but that's fine like that that mindset just doesn't exist today so I, I just i just find that a fascinating concept and i know i'm i've delved into into these waters that might be uh, you know might might come across in in a controversial way but yeah i guess i'm just interested to explore that idea yeah i mean i don't disagree with the idea of you know analyzing whether there is patterns here like analyzing whether like art has changed with regards to the money but 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 at the same time i think what my issue is is not the analysis not the it's more the degrading of certain forms of art you know like i say the use of the term degenerative art or or the the disregarding of certain forms of art based on the fact that subjectively a person may dislike it because you know this 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 kind of like time theory of labor. I've not looked too much into it, but I can imagine there are there are realist artists who can who can pull out some very detailed, amazing pieces of art. They actually don't take too much time for them to do. Maybe two, three days. I don't know. Van Gogh. What? What did he, could he do a painting in a day? One of his incredible paintings. I mean, I watched the film. It seemed like perhaps yeah. he could. Maybe I don't know. I don't know. That's a, that's I guess almost a. It's a, that's almost another whole area. This. It's like, does art need to have proof of work thing? Which well, doesn't. Like, it's it's um, one of the, it's a dumb concept. It, yeah, like, I just I, fully that, reject it. That's not. Um, yeah, that's not the argument that that I'm necessarily trying to make at all. Um, yeah, I, look, I don't think you are. By the way, hard one. It's such a difficult one because everyone. It's such a polarizing topic. So yeah, it, look, there is I, there there is space. I think for look. I've, I included Saifedean's analysis because, yeah, like it or not, I think the Bitcoin standard is that book that's defined the narrative on Bitcoin at, at the moment. And, um, yeah, look, it's got positives and negatives. I found it a compelling argument, and so I gave the space for Saifedean to put the argument forward in the film. Like, in a lot of ways, the film is almost like a film version of the Bitcoin standard. It is, yeah. But, yeah. There's, look, there's not much room for nuance in Saifedean's argument and there's certainly space for someone to put forward, uh, explore those ideas 
you know, look look more closely at that idea. Um, you know, trying to trying to tread a more, you know, a part a path between the two. Yeah, and listen, look, it's not a criticism of you, by the way. No, it, it, it it's definitely a criticism. Look, of I got to stand behind what I put forward in the film. Yeah. So I, you know, I I I don't take it personally, but I I feel the need to to address it because I think you're making a yeah. point. Yeah, no, it mine's more that, that just I, I will, I will, because I'm, I'm such a fan of Bitcoin, right? I, I really support it, but I I will fight any attempt to add a Bitcoin lens of time preference to art, and I'll, I'll fight that to the death. Just as somebody who you know grew up as someone who was exposed to art, uh, uh, the freedom around creativity, and to to bring people into this world of Bitcoin, but to disregard a whole category of art whatever you think of it for me for me is dangerous so that's why like it's it's such an important point for me to defend and attack i probably need to sharpen my knives with my defense of it but but outside of that i mean i, I loved your film yeah, <laughs> i you. did i thought i thought you nailed it so what's coming next man are you gonna make another one yeah you know i i think i will i'm already working on some other stuff look i want to do something specifically about bitcoin and i've sort of been working on that a little bit but yeah actually i'm working the i sort of got sidetracked so the project i've got going now it's a it's like a film version of murray rothbard's book anatomy of the state so it's like nice like his his classic sort of libertarian um well anarcho-capitalist view um you know putting forward this really super critical view of, of the state what is the state the mon- and, and the monopoly on violence and how that that is the defining characteristic of the state and yeah so that's uh yeah that's coming along well wow and sort of follow you know using the same sort of same sort of techniques like drawing on material that's already out there yeah because that for me you know obviously i found bitcoin profound from an economic point of view but it was it was really getting into rothbard's work and his his view of or his whole political philosophy that that's the been the life-changing thing for me in terms of just just the impact it's had on my views about the way the world works so yeah that's uh that's coming along at the moment i need i need to i need to read more rothbard I, I did download one of the one of his audible books one of the books on audible for a new liberty oh yeah yeah and i often use my audible books when i'm going running or i'm at the gym and the problem with For a New Liberty is you actually, you can't do something else. You have to stay <laughs> entirely focused. And what would happen is I'd find like two or three minutes ago, and I'm like, shit, I don't know what happened. Whereas other audio books, like I just did the the Bitcoin Billionaires, it just, you can consume it and go down the gym or go yeah. running. Yeah. So I have to go back to it because it, like, it's one of those things I like need to sit in a quiet room and just like, just listen to it with a pen and a pad and just keep notes. And it's sort of an entirely different experience. Well, listen, yeah. I look forward to the next film, man. Um, Thanks any, very much. Any kind Thanks of time for... frame? Uh, within, within a month or two. Yeah? Okay, that's time exciting. Time. Yeah. Well, listen, I think you've made a good stamp in uh, in the world of Bitcoin. I, I thought what you did was brilliant. Um, I have shared it. I will continue to share it. And uh, I appreciate you coming on and letting me have my, my anti-fear uh, art rant. But I appreciate it, and I'll share all your work. I think it's great. Um, but tell people where they can find the film and follow you if they if they want to. Yeah, out more. thanks very much. Yeah, the uh, the film's got a website. It's hardmoneyfilm.com. We've just thrown up a few um, 
uh, other languages. Like it's up there now in Japanese and Spanish subtitles and a few more on the way. My Twitter is rjames underscore BTC for more updates on, on that and future work. Are you taking donations? Yeah, there's a um, there's a donations page at the website. Uh, there's a Bitcoin address there. Got to work a bit on my my opsec <laughs> and maybe in my Lightning node and stuff like that. But uh, yeah, you can you can send me s- some uh, some sats at the Bitcoin address. I much appreciate it. All right, well I will, I will chuck some sats your way. I appreciate you having on, man. Listen, stay in touch. Anything I can ever do for you, you let me know. Thank you so much, Peter. Appreciate it. Okay. What did you think of that? Did you enjoy that? If you haven't already checked out the Hard Money film, I do strongly recommend giving it a watch. There are links to this in the show notes. And I really enjoyed this conversation. I definitely agree with his opinion on gold bugs and Bitcoin as being on the same team. And if you found that part of the conversation interesting, then you should definitely check out my episode with Dan Tapero, where we went further into gold and Bitcoin. And that is also linked in the show notes. Anyway, really appreciate Richard coming on. Hope you have a great week. And if you've got any questions, you can hit me up. It's hello at whatbitcoindid.com. And I'll see you all soon.